You are Locked On Red Sox, your daily Boston Red Sox podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to the Locked On Red Sox podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Jake Devereaux, joined as usual by my co-host, Matt Collins. We're here to bring you the best Red Sox coverage on the internet Monday through Friday, and we want to be part of your daily routine. So be sure to subscribe to us on Himalaya, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. This is your July 23rd edition of the podcast, and on today's show, we're going to talk about the win over the Tampa Bay Rays to start off this 14-game set of hell that the Red Sox are going through, and then we're going to touch on some rumors uh, from John Morosi. Today's show is brought to you in part by Hotels.com. Don't hate like your friend's trip. Book your own with Hotels.com and get rewarded basically everywhere. Hotels.com. Be there. Do that. Get rewarded. All right, Matt. Um, this one started off uh, with sort of a bang here. Um, Red Sox had an excellent third inning uh, to really kind of break this game against the Rays open. This one was at Tropicana Field, as I sort of alluded to uh, yesterday when I was on by myself, which was definitely an experience. Um but the third inning, they broke it open, made it seven to nothing, ended up winning the game nine to four. Um, but that third inning was epic. Devers doubles in a couple runs. Martinez has the uh, three-run shot. Then Benny and Travis go back to back. That was sick. Yeah, that was huge, especially after Sunday, where the offense is just a total disaster. And then this game, I mean. It's not like the third inning is still early in the game, but the first two innings, first time through the order, uh, Jalen Beeks kind of dominated. Um, so, I mean, it was kind of after Sunday, you're kind of feeling that carryover effect, like this can't happen again. And then, um, to me, it was really the Martinez home run that kind of let that feeling go. I mean, Devers knocking in two is obviously huge, but Martinez, it's that three home, that three run home run. All of a sudden it's a five nothing game and you're starting to actually feel good about the Red Sox for the first time in a couple of days. Um, Benintendi and Travis adding it on was sweet. Um, and Vasquez grounded out in between them so quickly that a lot of people thought that it was back-to-back-to-back, to back to back, which I thought was kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, um, it did sound like it if you were just listening to the broadcast. Yeah, I, yeah. I saw a lot of people wanting like the four-homer thing again like they did. I don't know how long ago that was against the Yankees. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was that was the game right there. Essentially, I mean, obviously a lot of stuff happened, but um, the game was the game began and end in the top of the third inning. Yeah, um, I know there's no way to prove this at all, but I really feel like in sort of going off what you said about Martinez in that homer breaking the game open, I think without that Martinez homer, we don't get homers from Benintendi and Travis because I think that what that did is it just it kind of freed them up. Like those are two guys who have not been succeeding at a high level at the plate. And I think that what that did is it kind of took the pressure off and all of a sudden you're able to take very different at bats than you might've, if you were feeling the crunch. Yeah. I mean, I think there's something to it. I don't know if that's like a hundred percent the case, but, uh, there's definitely something to that. There's the simple fact that it kept the inning going because there was one inning where one out at the time in the inning and the Vasquez got that out. So that would have ended the inning if Martinez had gotten out. And, uh, I mean, it's also a bit of a shock to, uh, Beeks's confidence. He had just allowed four straight guys to reach base, um, giving up two runs and then he gives up that home run that kind of broke his back a little bit. So, 
Um, it did kind of feel like it opened the floodgates. I don't know. Like you said, there's no way to kind of put a number on how much that actually was the case, but it definitely felt that way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I first of all, I didn't really realize that Jalen Beeks could bring that heat with that four seamer. That first out of inning. control. Yeah. Where did that come from? I, I don't think he's. I don't think I've ever seen that. And I, I was like one of the bigger Jalen Beeks fans. I had never seen him throw 96. No. I don't know if I've seen him throw 95. I mean, that came out of nowhere. <laughs> he was dropping 96 mile an hour BBs like it was nothing. <laughs> yeah, that was that was totally bizarre. Yeah. Um. But I mean, good for him. Good yeah. for the race. But yeah, definitely, uh, definitely a different guy than what we remember. That went away pretty quickly, to be fair. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he, he did it in the first inning a couple times, and then it was back down to like ninety-three ish. But yeah, that was very strange. Yeah. Well, after he finished his pull-down drills, uh, <laughs> yeah. that went away. Um, Eduardo Rodriguez, though, he was really the you know if you're if you're looking past the third inning, the second biggest story of the night. Um, had seven strong innings, only allowed two hits, struck out six, did allow four walks, which was not so great. But um, this is exactly what you want to see from Eddie, seven strong innings against a really good opponent, 113 pitches. And um, what this does is this continues to build momentum off of what he's been doing since the All-Star break. And he had two great starts uh, from the All-Star break forward. He had had a, a ERA of... A little over two in those two starts since the All-Star break. And then he lowers that here, uh, coming in with his third one since then. He's been, you know, quietly the most consistent starter here for a little bit. Yeah, I mean, he's been rolling really since they got to London. Um, I mean, the pitching in the London series was a disaster. He wasn't great, but he only gave up two runs in five and a third in that game. And, uh, I mean, this is the fifth start in a row. He's allowed two or fewer runs. Um the third start in a row he's pitched into the seventh um since june 14th he's made seven starts uh five of them or no sorry he's made what am i saying yeah he's made eight starts and in one two three four five six of them he's pitched into the seventh i mean that's so huge for him um they were talking about in the broadcast today that he's kind of been making more of a concerted effort to go deep and I think we're seeing his strikeout numbers are kind of going down a little bit in this stretch but he's making up for it especially in this game we saw it he's pitching around the edges but he's hitting those spots and he just can't square them up because he has so much movement so as long as he's not in the middle of the zone there's just not a lot of hard contact against him and uh and yeah like you said he's been the best pitcher on the team um it's not really a recipe for success if Eduardo Rodriguez is the best pitcher on the team, but for him specifically, it's a good sign. Yeah, and, and specifically for a guy who has this much ability. And I think we have to give the coaching staff on the Red Sox some credit for this because I know that the pitching deeper into games thing has been a focal point of the the coaching staff in regards to Eduardo Rodriguez. And I think that they've been a little bit tough on him at times trying to kind of get this out of him. And it's clear that he's responded to that coaching in a really positive way. Yeah, I mean, we've definitely talked about this before, but I mean, I think it's definitely worth noting again. This is, Rodriguez is really the only guy I can remember Cora going after publicly in the media. And I mean, at first glance, it kind of seems shocking and it's like he's attacking the guy, but I mean, he, think about it Cora knows him there's got to be a reason they're doing it they must think this is something that he responds to and it's clearly been working i mean like i said over the last 
six weeks or so, he's been going deep very consistently. And I said, I think it's six out of eight. One of those games was uh, rain out, or not rain out, but a long rain delay. So he only went five innings, but he only threw 76 pitches. So he definitely could have gone to the seventh in that game too. So it's really been every start other than the London start. Yeah, good things from him, absolutely. Um, Ho-hum, two more hits for Xander Bogarts. He just continues to roll as well. Um, but we do have to talk about Nate Eovaldi a little bit before we go to our break here. Um, Nate Eovaldi gets into a game, didn't perform exactly how you uh, would have wanted him to. Five hits allowed, three earned runs. What was your impression of Nate Eovaldi, and what did you see that wasn't working? He His command was totally off, um, which it's to be expected. He, it's insane that he only got one rehab appearance. Um it, I didn't. I thought it was crazy, but it was one of those things that I kind of just didn't really think about because there's so many other things going on with this team right now. But he missed so much time. I don't understand how they thought he was going to be ready after one rehab appearance. I think it's pretty clear they were just trying to see what they had. But you're not going to see what you have. I mean, he was he was rusty. So I mean, I'm not worried long term. But I mean, he's gonna. He just didn't really know where anything was going in this game. He threw a couple wild pitches. His, all of his pitches were kind of being yanked around. It just wasn't. I mean, if you look at his um, zone plots, everything was inside on left-handed hitters away to right-handed hitters. I mean, he was all going to the same side of the plate. He just was yanking everything to his glove side. Yeah, this is something that typically pitchers uh, figure out um, in their bullpen sessions and their side sessions and things like that. So... Hopefully what Cora can do is stay away from him a little bit and hopefully he can kind of find his mechanics and find his release point again and get things taken care of. Um, he's probably someone you want to stay away from in high leverage spots until you know that's dialed in. Yeah, and I mean, you def- I don't like. I don't think we'll see him tomorrow. You're going to want to stay away from him in back-to-back games too. But um, I miss. Yeah, I think he'll probably be in. If it is a close game, it'll probably be like the sixth inning or so. I don't think we'll be seeing him eighth or ninth just yet. All right. Uh, so a good win to start off this uh, 14 game set um, against the Yankees and the uh, Tampa Bay Rays uh, throughout this time period. Um, but we're going to take a quick break right now. You're going to hear a word from our sponsor, and then when we come back, we're going to talk about some of the rumors circulating. Okay, welcome back for segment two. Uh, some some juicy uh, John Morosi uh, tweets came down uh, yesterday and today uh, about some relievers that the Red Sox are allegedly showing active interest in. Uh, the first one was, or no, this was the... Second one um, was the real juicy one here. Uh, Red Sox showing active interest in Padres closer Kirby Yates and Blue Jays closer Ken Giles. And then the one that came out before that was Red Sox are among teams to evaluate reliever Daniel Hudson. Uh, Hudson with a 0.93 ERA in his last 16 outings. So all three of these guys are quality relievers, but the one that was really shocking was the... The Yates Giles thing that was that was really something yeah, I, I wasn't expecting. I don't know how much I buy it. Um, I will say, if they are going to go to these kind of higher end guys, it would make sense for it to be a Yates or a Giles or somebody like that because they have another year of control after this. So 
even if this year doesn't exactly go as planned, um, they're going to need relievers next year too. So this could kind of be jumping the gun on that. Um, that said, I, I don't really buy it. I don't know. I just don't like this. There are stories after this report came out that the team is still thinking about selling. And it's just weird to me that part of them is still thinking about selling, but the other part is actively showing interest in some of the, probably the two most expensive relievers on the market. It's just, this time of year is just very confusing. Yeah, and I think it's going to continue to be confusing up until just about the trade deadline. Um, they've got nine games to play, uh, eight more after today's game. Um, before that deadline actually hits, um, and, you know, the Red Sox are going to have to do some internal calculus based on how they perform leading up to that trade deadline. This is something we talked about at length on the Over the Monster podcast this weekend about whether after this bad series against Baltimore that the Red Sox were actually going to be sellers. And the conclusion that myself and Keaton came to was they're not going to be sellers, but they're probably not going to be buyers either. It seemed like the pen has been is the best it constructed that it's been all year now at this point with some of the other guys healthy and some of the guys up um, in the pen. And it doesn't seem like it's really going to be something that Dave Dombrowski is going to actively invest in unless the team really shows them something in the first half of this tough stretch against these opponents. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of where I keep coming back to. Um, like you said, if they like if they go on a real run here and win like sweep the series and take three out of four against the Yankees or something crazy like that. Um, that I think they might push their chips a little more, but I, I think it, it just makes the most sense to just stand pat. I think, I mean, the only way they're going to do anything this year is if the guys they already have play up to their potential. So you just got to rely on that. And if they don't, then it is what it is. The pieces you were going to sell weren't going to get that much anyways. So, um, it's boring. It usually feels like the wrong decision to stand pat, but I think the Red Sox are in a unique spot where that's just the most logical move. Yeah, absolutely. So um, consider these guys still a long shot. Um, don't get excited, um, but... No, you can get excited. I'm not your mom. Yeah, you I mean, you can get a little excited, um, but just temper your expectations a little bit. I, th- I think it has has a lot to do with what happens this upcoming week, so... It's going to be a it's really important week of baseball, and we've been sort of looking forward to this stretch and, and billing it as probably the most important stretch of baseball for this entire season, and certainly the one that's going to have the most impact on it's a really what the team bizarre does. schedule. Yeah, it, who it, made the schedule? It has been. fourteen straight games against the same two teams. That's I don't, I don't know. That's a little weird. Yeah, it's definitely been weird. Um, it's 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 certainly a gauntlet, and uh, this coming before the first ever it was singular trade deadline that we've had in I don't know I mean when's the last time there was a single trade deadline? That's probably is there ever? I don't, I don't know. know. I mean I'm guessing like sometime when the dinosaurs roamed the earth there was a single <laughs> trade deadline, but you know as as far as we know this is <laughs> the first time this has ever happened, and it's just weird that they would position it around such important games like this, but it certainly adds to the drama. You have to give them credit for that, right? I mean, I like it. The August trade deadline, I always thought was stupid, so this is... I hated explaining it to people, mostly. But. Yeah, the whole waiver trade deadline. It's yeah, it's very way too complicated. Yeah. 
Yeah, and uh, baseball could use a little simplification, so this is good. This is good. And that's our show, though. Um, anything else you want to add before we uh, close this one out, Matt? Um, I guess we should just say that the Rays using a position player in the ninth tonight was absurd. And as a Red Sox fan, I was very happy about it. Um, but it was a dumb decision that made no sense. Yeah, it was definitely weird. Uh, it was definitely a very uh, old Rays decision uh, type of thing. So weird stuff. Keep doing it, though. I like it. If you like the show, please go on, rate and review us, and follow us on Twitter. You can follow the Locked On Red Sox account at LO underscore Red Sox for all of uh, Matt's Locked On Red Sox tweets. You can follow Matt at Matt R.Y. Collins for all of Matt's regular tweets. And you can follow me at, at DevJake for all of my uh, medium to lukewarm takes. And uh, you can ask us questions and interact with us there. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe. Uh, wherever you're listening to us right now is a good place to subscribe to the show. And also tell other Red Sox fans to subscribe. And fans of the league as a whole, tune in to Locked On MLB to get an overview of what's happening in the league in just 15 minutes. So thank you very much, and we'll be with you for tomorrow's episode.